Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Like that sense of like rootlessness and placelessness will ultimately be solved in Jesus. Yeah. Because one day I'll live somewhere forever right. with him. And that land will never be taken away yeah. by anything. Right. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing our series in the book of Daniel. Now we're in Daniel chapter 9. Seth, how are you feeling? I feel like I'm rounding a corner. Yeah? Like Daniel's going downhill. <laughs> Is that a bad thing? Daniel's going well, not downhill and like it's getting like... Like, you know, like you're descending the mountain. Oh, I got it. I thought you meant like it's getting But bad. I was going to say also that going down the mountain is also the most dangerous part. That's of true. the uh, <laughs> expedition. Most injuries and deaths happen on the other side of the mountain. <laughs> Is that true? I, yeah, it does. It's actually true. Because everyone's tired and exhausted. And, and running downhill's hard. And running downhill's hard. And I kind of feel like that immense sense of relief. Oh, we're almost down the mountain. Also, I don't want to trip over myself. Also, this is the most dangerous part of the mountain. <laughs> and so Daniel 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 feel like that's yeah. in my brain. That feels good. Okay. It feels super good. I get that. feels super good. Okay. So uh, what is kind of on the line for us here in Daniel 9? And what are we going to have to go through in order to understand yeah. it? Daniel 9 is a really unique chapter in the book of Daniel. Daniel, the first six chapters were stories, narratives from Daniel's time in exile. Chapter 7 introduces apocalyptic literature visions mm. of the future and daniel chapter 9 kind of breaks the flow of the apocalyptic visions right. for a prayer and it's a prayer based on daniel's reading of another piece of scripture from the book of jeremiah yeah which is just we don't get that a lot in the bible we, we don't get that a lot in the where bible where you have one, one uh, someone from one book it's one doing of doing the, theology from another book yeah and it's one of the most explicit times in scripture that you have one biblical author referring to another biblical yeah, author yeah it really is uh, author so mm. it's unique generally but it's also kind of breaks the cycle that we we're ex used to experiencing in the book of daniel so far visions and craziness but prayer yeah and daniel is it's a prayer asking god for mercy uh to deliver them out of exile right um and what's kind of really interesting about daniel's prayer is that as he's begging god for forgiveness and mercy and he's repenting he 
basically blames Israel's exile on Israel. Mm. And he says, it's our fault we're here. That we're here, yeah. So please rescue us based on your mercy towards us. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think, like, if, if, if Daniel <laughs> had, like, a modern counselor sitting across from him during, you know, like, overhearing that prayer, he would say something like, Daniel, don't blame, don't blame yourself for this. It's not your fault or your people's fault that you're here. It's the geopolitical maneuverings of other nations. And yeah, Nebuchadnezzar bloodthirsty. Yeah. You're, you're a victim in this You're a victim situation. of circumstance. Don't beat yourself up. And he's saying, no, this is my fault and my people's fault that we're here, and I know it to be true. I'm going to pray that to God. How did we get here? How did, how did he get here from Jeremiah? Yeah. Is so, the question. Yeah. So how does Daniel get away with blaming Israel for their exile in Babylon? Right. Because it kind of feels like insult to injury. It kind of does. Like, yeah, exile's been really hard, so, and it's our fault that we're here. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so the, okay. the way you do this, so the way that you start to think like Daniel and start thinking that the exile, their time in Babylon is part, is their fault, mm. is all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. So the book of Deuteronomy enumerates God's covenant with Israel. Mm-hmm. So why don't you give us a really quick definition of what a covenant is? Oh, yes. fun. <laughs> spontaneous spontaneous definition of, a covenant. of covenant. Uh it is an agreement between usually a more powerful party and a weaker party. Um often oftentimes it comes from the the more powerful party saving the weaker party and engrafting them into their society or their culture or under their government. And it's the higher, more powerful party saying, I will give you these kinds of benefits and protections. You will be my people. And as your king, I'll protect you in these ways. But as my people, as my citizens, you must live in accordance with my law now that you're members of my kingdom in these ways. Mm -hmm. So I'll be your king. You'll be my people. And if you follow my laws, here's all the blessings I'll give you. And if this was like a... um, a secular king doing this, yep. he might say, I'll make sure your taxes don't go above a certain percentage and I will build walls around your city to I'll keep give you safe. this fertile plot of land That's over right. here. Yeah. Yep. And, and even though you didn't earn that plot of land, I'll give it to you because I'm such a generous king. Uh, but if you break my commands, <laughs> then I will bring hellfire and brimstone <laughs> down on you. I will take the Roman army over to you and punish you or whatever. Right. Uh, and so you have an agreement. Here's what the king will provide. Here's what the citizens will do. If they obey it, then... Here's all the, the benefits. Here's all the benefits, the blessings. And if they disobey it, here's all the curses, what's going to happen. And God follows the same exact formula whenever he writes the covenant to his people. Yes. Uh, recorded in of, of other places too, but in Deuteronomy. Yes. Yeah. So God enters into a covenant with Israel like that. And I mean, the easiest way to understand it, here's the Ten Commandments, Israel. Right. You will be my people (laughs) if you do these things. Right. And you will not be my people if you don't do these things. Mm -hmm. And Israel agrees to it. And part of what they're agreeing to isn't just the commands they're supposed to obey, but also the enumeration of the blessings Mm -hmm. and of the curses. Right. The blessings are kind of self-explanatory. You'll, you're, you kind of named them. The crops will grow. Right. People will be blessed. You won't. I mean, and the kind of amazing, miraculous one. Your, there are your shoes won't wear out. You'll yeah. never be. You'll never miscarry. Like some right. divine promises, things uh, that an earthly king could never promise. Right. Yeah. And then in Deuteronomy twenty-eight, he also God also lists the curses mm-hmm. for disobedience. Right. And what's interesting is the curses that God lists. A lot of them center around an idea of being sent out from the land Mm -hmm. into another land 
and being exiled from the land God promised them. Part of the blessing was to live in the land God gave them. Mm -hmm. The curse was you would no longer be part of that land. So let me just read right. a couple. Well, and just to set the scene yeah, yeah, yeah. for people and their creative imaginations, Deuteronomy was read while people were outside of the land. It, this oh. was said before they were in the land of Canaan. And so Moses is giving this covenantal speech to the people before they enter the land saying, when you enter this land, this is basically like you signing the dotted line of the covenant that you are going to do good in this land because yeah. this is a land that God wants to live in. God wants to make a new garden of Eden here. So if you're going to go in this land, you need to live a certain way so that God can dwell with you and make it this beautiful place that blesses all yep. nations. Mm -hmm. And if, if you come in here and you don't live according to it, like you said, you're going to get kicked out and it's going to look like this. It's going to look like this. So this is Deuteronomy 28, verse 32. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and flail with longing for them all day long. But you shall be helpless. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and all of your labors. And you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. Verse uh, 36, and there in the nation you will serve other gods of wood and stone, and you'll become a horror and a proverb, mm -hmm. a byword among all the people. Verse 41, uh, you shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Mm -hmm. This is Daniel. Yeah, His father was back home. He was one of the sons who left his father behind. Yeah. Verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and lacking in everything. I mean, it's amazing to think about that reality of you're about to enter into a new promised land. You've just been saved from Egypt. You know, you've wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. Miraculously, your shoes didn't wear out. And you're finally coming to the promised land. You're going to go in. And he says, you're going to come in here for a while, but you're going to mess it up so badly. I'm going to kick you out. Well, yes, that does come in just a <laughs> yeah. second. Yeah, which is kind of what's fascinating about this. He, so here's the blessings and here's the curses. This will happen to you if you disobey. And then right. he says in the next couple of verses, you most certainly will disobey. Right. However, and this is important for us to understand what Daniel is doing here. In chapter 30, after this prediction of disobedience, this prediction of exile, he also says this. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, verse 2, and when you return to the Lord your God, mm. you and your children, and obey his voice, a term that we use a whole bunch in mm. Daniel chapter 9, in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offsprings so that you will love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. So not only did he say, you're going to disobey my covenant and you're going to be sent away, I'm also going to bring you back and I'm going to mm -hmm. change your hearts and I'm mm -hmm. going to make you like people who can live in this land forever. Yes. So not only are you going to leave, you're also going to come back. That's right. And so and it's going to you're going to come back when you repent uh -huh. and when you say uh, sorry. So Daniel is trying to inhabit that space. Mhm. Mm and it's really so that happened in Deuteronomy mm -hmm. before Israel had any kings or leadership to speak of. Right? right. But when King Solomon in 1 Kings 8 builds the temple, yeah. You know what he says? He says this. He says this in verse uh, chapter 8 verse 48. Let me start in verse 47. So if you are carried away captive to the land of your enemy, far off or near, but if you turn 
their hearts in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of the captors, saying, We have sinned and acted wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you towards their land, which you have given to their fathers, the city that you've chosen, you will return it to them. You will have compassion on them. Mm. So it's really interesting. Uh, we're told Daniel chapter 9 happens during the reign of King Darius. Yeah. We already have a story from the reign of King Darius in Daniel chapter 6 in the lion's den. Do you remember which direction Daniel was praying? Toward when, the temple. Towards the temple in Jerusalem. Which Solomon had just built when he prayed that prayer. Right. So Daniel is praying to God. He's remembering the curses of the covenant. He's remembering how if I repent, there's a promise that will return to the land. He's remembering 1 Kings 8 where Solomon built the temple and mm -hmm. said, if anybody prays towards this, may God show compassion on them and return them to this land. And he's saying, okay, God, will you do the stuff that you said you would do? Would mm -hmm. you take away the curses and restore the blessings? Yeah. So that's, that's all happening in Daniel as we enter into Daniel 9. But right. there's even more. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is, I mean, because I think it's really cool to think about Daniel as being a really good Bible student here, right? He knows his Torah. He knows the covenant blessings and curses that were in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He knows his Old Testament history. Yes. And the promises of the kings that... Israel he knows had. there's a new covenant based on repentance. Yeah. He's a good Bible student. He's a really good Bible student, which is just a fun way of thinking about Daniel. Yeah. Anyway. So, but particularly in chapter 9, he doesn't reference the books of Moses. He doesn't reference the, the, the reign of Solomon. He references the book of Jeremiah. Yeah. Let me let me read Daniel 9 okay. before jumping to, Je to Jeremiah. He says, in the first year of Darius's reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books, meaning the books of the Torah, the numbers of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So, okay, what's he talking about in the book of Jeremiah? He's talking about Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11, which says this. This whole land, meaning Israel, shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making that land, Babylon, an everlasting waste. And he says a similar thing again in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, where he says, For thus said the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise, and bring you back to this place, mm. meaning Israel. That is really interesting to have, you have Daniel reading Deuteronomy, you have him reading... The book of, uh, is, was it Kings you read Kings, from? Yeah. yeah, the book of Kings. And he's like, okay, I get it. I get that we broke the covenant, and therefore God held us liable for the covenant curses, mm -hmm. and we've been kicked out of the land. But now I know that we can come back if we turn toward the temple and repent. Mm -hmm. God will bring us back. But the one thing I don't know yet is how long between us getting kicked out and us coming back, how long do we have to wait before yes. we can come back? And that's the piece of the puzzle that Jeremiah, that Jeremiah offers. offers. And then you, you actually do see it in other places, but he holds in here on Jeremiah. really fascinating about Jeremiah's prophecy in particular is that 70 years are up, 
and Babylon has just fallen. Darius is on the throne. Amid oh. is on the throne. Cyrus, the Persian, has taken over. So Daniel... Right, because it says in the first year of Darius. This is right after the changing of the guard. Babylon fell. Is this coming true? Yeah. Oh. So he's tuned into his Bible. He's turned into his politics. And he's like, oh, wait a second. This is exactly what Jeremiah said. And I wonder if that means what God said all the way back in Deuteronomy, all the way back in 1 Kings, all the way... And in the, it's coming true. Is it coming true? Is this finally the moment that's going to happen? So what do you do? If you think it might be the moment that God's about to return you to your land, you must repent. Right. That's what that's what we were told to do. That's mm. what he's expected to do. And yeah. that's what most of Daniel chapter 9 is about. Okay, but why 70? Why 70 years? Is it just like God looked into the future, said, I'm going to wait, no, nah, not 68 or 69 years, not 72 years. I'm going to wait 70 years because that's, that's the right amount of time. Okay. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> um, what's great about the book of Daniel is that we have some really concrete dates for things. Yeah. And what's fascinating is that 70 years have not passed yet. Oh, okay. There's only been 66 years. Really? Yeah. So <laughs> we know the date when Babylon took power. Right. 605 BC. Okay. And we know when Persia took power. Oh, 539 sure. BC. Interesting. That's only 66 years. Right. I mean, that's close. It's close. <laughs> it's within the rounding margin yeah, of error. God, God, Daniel's like, come on, God, fudge the numbers. Fudge Let's the get numbers back to Israel. But I think my point here <laughs> is that, okay, okay, why 70? Why, why right. this number 70 here? Because it doesn't feel like an arbitrary number. That's That feels like a very specific Bible number. It's a very specific <laughs> Bible number. So if you go to the book of Second Chronicles. As, as one often does. I mean, it's not the book I turn to first <laughs> no. in the Bible. Um, and I've been putting off writing devotional content for this for a long time. But the very, very last chapter of Second Chronicles, which to to name this, was the end of the scriptures for the Hebrews. Yes. This is where the Bible ended for the Hebrews. It didn't end in Malachi for them. It ended right here. Yes. And the book of Chronicles chronicles the history of God's people. I see what you did there. And offers a theological interpretation of what God did through Israel's history. Right, because like we have Samuel, we have Kings. Mm -hmm. Chronicles just repeats it, right? Right. No, right? I mean, it, That's it's right. giving commentary, theology about what had transpired through Israel's history. Yes. And in a really big way, that's what the end does. And so here's what how he interprets the 70 years of exile. He says, he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him, meaning Nebuchadnezzar and his sons, until the establishment of the king of Persia. So Cyrus and Darius. We're mm. right here with Daniel. That's okay. 66 years after 605 BC. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the prophecy that Daniel just read, uh -huh. until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. Right. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Yeah. So he knows it's 66 because he just referenced the exact dates of the fall. Mm. The, you know, he knows it's only 66 years. Right. He knows when Nebuchadnezzar took control. He knows when Persia took power. He says, but no, this is to fulfill the 70 years as if it's like this prophetic category. Mm. And he calls it a prophetic category of Sabbathing. Right. Of Sabbath. Which would be really appropriate because when does the Sabbath take place? On the seventh day. On the seventh day. But there's not only weekly Sabbaths, mm -hmm. right? There were also 
seven times seven Sabbaths, mega Sabbaths. There was years of Jubilee right. every 50, 49. 49 years, 49 seven, times years. seven years. And then... And there was also month, like the seventh month was kind of like the Sabbath month because there yes. were so many parties packed into the seventh month. Yes. They really couldn't get any work done. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had the, the seven-year Sabbath, and then you have the seven times seven-year Sabbath, which is the year of Jubilee. Yeah, so... Then, so you ask me, what's the significance right. of 70 years? Right. So the idea here is that after 70 years in exile, after a period of time in exile, after a prophetic time in exile, Israel re- would return prophetically to a time of rest, restoration, and celebration, jubilee back in their homeland. Mm. That's like, that's what's the hope at the end of Jeremiah or through the 70-year prophecies, right. that the promise of rest, the promise of restoration, the promise of restitution would finally come true. I see. For Israel. Okay. I have I have two two questions. Yeah. One is uh so do you are you saying that when Israel comes back into the land, that is them completing the Sabbath rest because they're now back home and they can rest. So in a sense, exile mm-hmm. has been sixty-nine years or mm-hmm. like 60, 60 years, yeah, and then the the seventieth year is the year of Sabbath rest, and it's been like a long time of being away from home has been like the work week, <laughs> and then at the end of that time we mm-hmm. finally get to come home and rest. Is that the I picture? I think that's part of the okay. picture. So part of the picture is that once our time in exile is over, we will return mm-hmm. to a. A Sabbath right. return, a, a year of jubilee where we get our land back. That's okay. what the year of jubilee was. The, that seventy. Oh, right. The, you, you keep talking about the year of jubilee. That seventy. That seven sevens. Yes. Like that's the year of jubilee when land that you had to borrow or lease out is returned to you. Mm. So Israel had to lease leased out its land right. in quotation marks to Babylon while it was in Babylonian exile. Mm. But then it returns on the year of jubilee. That's right. part of the picture. Okay. But there's another side of that picture as well. Right. Is it? Does it have anything to do with this idea of the land shall have its Sabbath? Yeah. Okay. Because that's a strange phrase. I didn't. I know. I'm. I know. Like. Like. You know. Jews in the Old Testament, and maybe you know today, we're supposed to Sabbath, as people. Right. 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 Know, people were commanded to Sabbath. I never. Yeah. I never in the creation story or in the Ten Commandments saw God turn around and look at the ground and say, "Rest ground." Make sure to take your Sabbath. Yeah. You, you, you dirt. You, you dirt. So what's happening What's happening here where it's like the land will have its Sabbath while Israel is in exile? So every seven years, uh-huh. the land was supposed to lay fallow. Is, don't plant any crops in year seven. Don't plant. Don't reap. Don't mm. harvest. Let it lie. Hard to do in agrarian society. And there's no evidence that Israel ever did it. Right. So when Daniel's repenting for the sins of Israel, he's in part repenting for the fact that they never followed this Sabbath law. Mm, how can I how can I claim the 70-year return of ultimate Sabbath to our land after exile if we never repented for the fact that we never celebrated the Sabbath rest in the first place? Right. Yeah. And so some commentators will point to the fact that Israel's exile was a, a divinely imposed Sabbath for the rest that the people of God never let the land have. Right. The land was was due a yeah. Sabbath every Overdue. seven year. Yeah. And the people of God would never give it to it. Uh-huh. So God sent them out of the land to give the land its Sabbath right. so that when they returned, the land would be at rest and they could rest in it. Yeah. So those are both ideas operating here. Right. 
what is it like that just is a really interesting idea for me that i've always loved is this idea that the land needs its rest you know mm-hmm. like and i don't i'm not a farmer right so it doesn't feel like there's enough on the line for me to really be struck by awe and wonder with this yeah but it it is a really cool conceptual category to think about the land having its sabbath rest i also think the land was ended up being a place where there was a lot of sin and turmoil mm-hmm. and disobedience it wasn't only bad farming practices you know where they wouldn't let the land lay fallow mm-hmm. it was also they were working out their slavery to sin in the land where they were meant to rest under God's freedom. Yeah. And it just was a place that was meant to well, be light and blessing became a curse. Well, think about Cain's murder of Abel. Okay. What are we told the blood does? Cry out from the ground? It cries out from the ground. Yeah. And so like the bloodshed of Israel had caused the ground itself to mourn and wail. And yeah. if you think about some of those stories about what happens if somebody is killed in the field. Right. The ground. The ground will like bear witness. Like right. there was a, a poison, a stain on yes. the land. They had to go and purify it. <sighs> yeah. And, even if it was an accidental murder. The land was haunted by Israel's sins. Yeah. And God was removing the cause of the sin out of the land to purify the land so that he could invite a new people who having repented of their old sins could enter into the land purified to enter into a new kingdom with rhythms of rest and productivity. And that was the hope that Daniel was praying towards as he comes in to Daniel chapter 9. Okay, so Daniel is praying in Daniel chapter 9. He has read his Bible well. He knows that they've broken the covenant. The covenant curses have come. They've been kicked out of the land in exile. But he knows there's a promise that they're supposed to come back. And it should come at the end of 70 years. Well, they're at 66 years. They're almost there. But also maybe they've completed their Sabbath rest for the land. And maybe all that's left and all that's needed is for Daniel to be the representative to finally repent and look to the temple. And then would that end the 70 years and they could finally come back to their land? Is that where we're at? That's where we're at. Okay. I think I think we I think I got it all. Okay, so let me just read a couple of the things that Daniel prays. Okay, so yeah. it's like okay, we've talked about how Daniel will get to his prayer, <laughs> but here's what he says. He says this in verse three. Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, "O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps." covenant and think about how loaded that phrase is yeah he's kept the covenant by sending them into exile yeah, he kept the covenant curses yeah oh lord the great and awesome god who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments he's also like but you also said we'd come back <laughs> we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled mm. turning aside from your commandments and rules we have not listened to your servants the prophets who spoke in your names to all of us to you O lord belongs righteousness but to us open shame as at this day to the men of judah the inhabitants of jerusalem and to all of israel those who are near and those who are far away and all the lands which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you he's oh there it is right there yeah We've been driven far away because of the treachery that we've committed mm -hmm. against you. To us, the Lord belongs open shame Mm. to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. He's acting as a representative Israelite, as the only one of the few Israelites in power that is left. True. We've mentioned in previous podcasts that he 
can kind of function like a priest. He's described mm-hmm. as a priest throughout. Without blemish. Without ble- he's praying towards the temple like Solomon told him yep. to do. He's really concerned about the returning of the burnt offerings and incense throughout the book. So he feels like he is this kingly priestly representative for Israel right. repenting on their behalf mm. in hopes that his repentance would bleed out in the forgiveness of all of Israel's sins. And then he says this, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness mm. because we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that makes me, that almost makes it sound like the ball's in your court, God. That's exactly right. Oh, okay. It is. It That's is exactly right. Okay. It's like w- there's nothing within us oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would qualify us to enter back into the land. Mm. But in you, there is mercy and forgiveness. And he even says it again in a different way uh, in verse 18. We don't present our pleas before you, our pleas for return, because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Wow. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention. Oh, Lord, act. Do not delay. For your sake, oh God, because your city and your people are called by your name. What a prayer. What a prayer. Man. It's a great prayer. I want to pray like this. <laughs> I don't really want to have to be in this situation. <laughs> that, we all are, Dave. We all, we all are. That's true. We're all in exile. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, a few interesting things there. He has said in no uncertain terms that he definitely knows it's because of their sins mm-hmm. that they have been driven out from the land. And now he's not saying, well, I've... I'm repenting. I'm saying the words. I'm looking to the temple. So because of my prayer, I've fulfilled the qualifications. Let us back in. He's saying we have nothing to offer. All I can bring is my unrighteousness. And so I need your mercy. Yeah. He's begging God for a new covenant, not based on who he is. Well, hold on now. You're going to have to say that again because that's really good. He's He's begging God for a new covenant, not based on who he or Israel is. I didn't think about that as because, th- okay, so if Israel violates covenant one, mm-hmm. they break it, and so they get the curses, they get kicked out of the land, but then God says, I'm going to bring you back in. What he, what he doesn't make super clear, but there are some interesting hints in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. that you read earlier, mm-hmm. is like, okay, but what are, what, what are going to be the conditions yeah. of my new residency in this Sabbath land? What, how am I going to live in this land in such a way that I won't get kicked out again? Yeah. And it's, it, you read it earlier. It's, he says, I'm going to circumcise, circumcise your, your hearts heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Jeremiah says something remarkably similar in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law in them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Daniel even does some of that work here in this prayer. Chapter 5, verse 15, he says, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. One of the things that you left out of the general way that covenants are made between mm. two parties, it starts with what the benevolent king has done to the lesser nation. That's right. I've rescued you from the hand of a tyrant. Right. Yes. So Therefore, Daniel yeah. is preloading the covenant for God. He says, mm-hmm. here is the preamble to the covenant. Here's what you've already done. 
make give us a new exodus so that we might have a new covenant right because the grounding of even like let's say the the ten commandments is i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt the first word of the commandment yeah therefore do these things he's saying okay if we are going to have a new covenant where we can actually obey you from our hearts because you've given us hearts that love you in order for us to do that you're going to have to first perform a new exodus yeah. You're going to have to part the proverbial Red Sea and get us out of Babylon. Yes. And then once you do, we're going to need a new covenant. That's right. Interesting. That's so cool. So, do you know who gives us a new covenant? I mean, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jesus. Yeah, that's man, that's so loaded, though. Like, that's so <laughs> loaded now. When Jesus sits down with his disciples at the at the Last Supper and says, A new covenant I give you, and it's my flesh and my blood. And it's based on love. He says, the new, a new command I give you too, right? To yeah. love others as I have loved you. Yeah. It is interesting too. I'm just reflecting on Daniel chapter one, where the king offers Daniel the best food of Babylon. Yeah. A covenant with the king of Babylon. Oh, yeah, totally. And he says, no, I'll only drink the vegetables and the water right and then jesus comes with a meal just as simple Mm. it's just the bread and the wine right it's the simple the simple elements this is my new covenant eat this in remembrance of me this is the new covenant in my blood and this is what will transform you into the people that daniel hoped you could be people that would enter into a land that would be at rest that people could work in it in productive cycles and restful cycles, filled with the law of God, obeying it perfectly to please the Lord, to be with God forever. Mm. Like that's the new covenant that Daniel hopes will be inaugurated at this end of 70 years. Okay, we have a lot to unpack. Okay. Okay. First off, how is Jesus giving the bread and the wine that he says represents his body and his blood? How is that the constitution of a new covenant? He just says it. (laughs) (laughs) When Jesus says something, it just happens. So um, I'll lead my own question. Okay. Okay. So I'm thinking of a couple of things. Number one, I'm thinking of when God made his covenant with Abraham there was a covenant ceremony that they went through where God rends different animals in half, or Abraham does mm-hmm. it, but at God's command, yeah. and they split animals in half, and that's the sacrifice. And then typically what would happen is the two parties that have made the covenant would walk through the ripped open sacrifices together, signifying that if either of them breaks the covenant, then what happened to those animals should happen to them. But interestingly, in the Abraham version, uh, God alone walks through the, the the ripped open sacrifices in like the smoking pot, signifying that he alone will uphold the covenant. And that's because sacrifices often are the beginnings of covenants. Same thing happens with the covenant that God gives to Israel. They set up a new altar not touched by human hands, which, again, Daniel Daniel picks picks up up on, which is really interesting. And sacrifices are instated at the temple. That is a result of this first covenant. So Jesus is saying that in order for a new covenant to begin, there has to be a sacrifice to begin this covenant. I am going to be that sacrifice. I'm going to inaugurate a new covenant 
based on this sacrifice of my body mm-hmm. and my blood. Yeah, another way to say that is not just a new sacrifice, but a new exodus moment. Yes. Like, so I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, be my be my people. Uh, I brought you out of the land of the Chaldeans, which is the promise God made to Abraham. Yes. God brings Abraham out of the land of Chaldeans. Like, I'm going to make you a great people. And he does this. He promises this first before the sacrifices even happen. Right. Jesus, similarly, is offering an exodus from death in sin itself. Yeah. And then says, okay, and the sacrifice is me. Right. Don't You don't need to offer your own sacrifices. Uh, and the exodus is me. The exodus is me. Right. And now go and live as I've commanded right. you, as my people. It's amazing to think about in the Last Supper and on the cross, Jesus becomes the conquering king who rescues a nation in order to put them into a new covenant. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. we talked about what when did covenant start? Well, you had this big, giant right, right, kingdom right, right. who would come in and sweep away some other enemy nation and then take those that they were oppressing and make a new covenant with them. Mm-hmm. At once, Jesus is a king who's able to make a covenant, right? Like mm-hmm. that's who Jesus was claiming to be when he was at the Last Supper. He's like, yes. I'm a conquering king yes. who has the authority to make a new binding covenant with all people. Yeah. Okay, that's amazing. But then at the same time, how does that conquering king make the covenant? He dies. Mm-hmm. Like, he gives up his body and his blood. He's the lion and the lamb. Like, yeah. it's just so amazing to think about. He's the sacrifice that points to the fact that there's nothing else left to be done, that the covenant curses will fall on him. But he's also the king who's able to lead us through the waters of death right. and out the other side. Like, yes. he's both of those moments in one. Yes. And so then you, you just opened up. The second thing I think we have to unpack, which is going back to that line earlier, I made you repeat, which is you said something about this is a covenant that isn't based on what we do or yeah. what was that? I don't remember what I said, <laughs> uh, but I said it was gold. Yeah. Daniel is asking for God to make a new covenant, not based on who they've been, but who God is on yeah. his great mercy. So I think that is the the new thing that's happening in Jesus mm-hmm. is he says, this is the new covenant right here. It's my body and my blood. But what happens when I transgress the covenant? What happens when I don't obey? Mm-hmm. It's my body and my mm-hmm. blood. But what happens when it's my body mm-hmm. and my blood? But what if I, it's my body and my blood. The, under the new covenant, it's not based on what we do anymore. Well, it never was under the old covenant. No, it wasn't. But what's interesting, well, I, just, I just kept thinking, about like, well, it wasn't based on what Abraham did either. No, it was. Or it what wasn't. Israel did. Right. They misunderstood it that way. Yes. Sure. So it's like, oh, Jesus just does again what God has always been doing for his people. Mm-hmm. But what I think is fascinating, and I think maybe what you're driving at, is like the covenant curses always fell on Israel. That's right. The covenant curses always fell on the people dwelling in the land or not in the land. Mm-hmm. Now all the covenant curses have been broken open because Jesus has died on the cross. He's yes. been exiled like Daniel was so that no believer in the covenant, the new covenant, would ever be exiled again. Right. Which leads me to the third thing I think we have to unpack here is the 70 years or the 70 weeks or the perfect amount of punishment yeah. that had to be executed on Israel that Daniel's wondering if it, the time is up yet was never up until Jesus. Hmm. We got to unpack this. Yes. Because I think what you said, the real distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant is where the curses fall. Yeah. I mean, that is really helpful. So why is that so helpful for you? Why does that feel like it breaks <sighs> categories? Yeah. Man, I I think be, I think it's helpful to me because 
not for the obvious reasons. I think it's helpful to me because I think it's really easy for me to create a caricature of the Old Testament law as a works-based law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intrinsically, that it was built to be a works-based law. The only way God likes you in the Old Testament is if you sacrifice enough animals right. and obey enough laws. Right. Yeah. And that's just not true. Um, that's a caricature of the Old Testament. It it got turned into that, in a sense, and I think it continues to get turned into that when people yeah. read it. I know a lot of Christians who've turned their relationship with Jesus into that. Yes. Yes. That's the way our hearts tend, is toward making things that God intends for mercy into things for works. That we have to earn. Yeah. Um, so I think it's helpful for me to go, well, then what's the big difference? What's the big deal about a new covenant if the old one was also full of grace, mm-hmm. right? Or it's just, it was such right. a clear answer to me to say, well, the difference is at some point the piper has to get paid for all the broken, mm-hmm. all the breaking of the covenant. And it, it, we saw at the beginning of Daniel, it had to fall on the people of, of God. Mm-hmm. But then in Jesus, he says, I will be the person of God. Yeah. Like, I will be Israel. I will be your representative and I will get sent into exile for you. I will bear the curses you deserve. I will be the one who's sent out so you can be brought in. Uh, and that is just really beautiful to me. And it makes so much sense then why he inaugurates the new covenant by handing out his flesh and blood. Because he's like, the only way this covenant will stick, the only way this covenant's going to be forever is if I bear all the curses for you. So here's my body. Here's my blood. I'm going to pour it out and break it open for you so that you can come in. It's just so good. I just think it's so beautiful. Um, But I think it does beg one more question. Okay. Which is, okay, cool. Jesus pays this incredibly merciful, huge price to buy a new covenant and bring us into it so that the covenant curses won't fall on us. But like, what happens when we come into this new kingdom with Jesus as our new king and we've got a new covenant? Eventually, aren't we going to like sin so much that we'll get kicked out again? Or even if we never get kicked out, what's going to make us not just be Israel again, where we just in, in, in continually to put wrong kings on the throne and follow sin and pollute the land. How am I going to break the cycle of the Old Testament that seems to be inevitable? Well, Deuteronomy 30, Jeremiah 31. Right, the, the text that, that Daniel's pulling on. The text that, yeah, both prophesy a new heart, a circumcised heart. Yeah. A heart that intuits what God wants us to do mm. and naturally inclines to do those things. In Israel, they needed a law to tell them how to live in all the situations they would face. In Jesus, we are have a law written on our hearts, allowing us to encounter hundreds of new situations in more increasingly technological Babylons, right. knowing how to follow God perfectly, mm. even when everything around us is tempting us to do otherwise. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is one of the defining differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. That's right. That's, I mean, that's, that's the hope. That's the answer to your question. Right, is that God's new covenant isn't written on tablets of stone that we look at and say, okay, those are the things I need to, to do, or that's what a citizen looks like, and oh, I just didn't measure up. It's more, it's this, it's written on your heart. It's encoded into your DNA. That's why you don't only get a new covenant. John 3 also says you get a new birth. Mm-hmm. You become a new kind of person. Your DNA gets re-encoded with the Holy Spirit in it. Yeah. And now you can become the type of person 
who actually does just break the cycle normally. It be, like following God becomes more and yeah. more natural. It's much more intimate mm. too. Laws are fairly impersonal, right? Written in a courthouse somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but a law written on a heart mm. is much more intimate. It also means there's no barrier or mediator between you and right relationship with God. Mm. In Israel, if you wanted to approach God rightly, you had to go through the law. Yeah. And that law wasn't on your heart. It was in a tablet inside of a temple that you had to perform sacrifices to get near. Now, that law is written on our hearts that has been atoned for by the blood of Jesus. And what was once took an entire infrastructure of a nation to accomplish is now inside of me by mm. virtue of Jesus' death on the cross. Yeah. Intimately, I have been forgiven of my sin. My iniquity has been atoned for. The Holy Spirit that used to animate the nation of Israel animates me. And I live as a new Israel, as a new Eden, mm -hmm. as a new representative of God in the world where I am right now. Mm. That sounds like a different kind of covenant. It's a new covenant. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Jesus underestimated it. <laughs> He's like, this is a new covenant. He's like, guys, this is really cool. He should have said, said really cool. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, so we've, we've talked about Daniel's prayer, why he's repenting, why he's lamenting. It's because he thinks he's at the end of the 70 years. He's trying to obey Deuteronomy. He's trying to obey first Kings. He's trying to turn his heart toward Jerusalem, toward God and come back home. He's like, God answer my prayer. And then what happens? God answers his prayer. Well, what do you know? God answers his prayer. So an angel shows up just like he did in the previous chapter, and it's Gabriel. As 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 this as happens, Ga just so as normal. old Gabe often does, you he know, just comes when in when I'm in, in finishing up my times of prayer. An angel often just shows just up. Shows up. <laughs> hey, David. Gabriel comes to interpret this, interpret God's plans in the same way that he interpreted his dream mm. with the ram and the goat. So Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying. The man, Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And I, I wonder, which sacrifice is he talking about here? The sacrifices in Babylon or the sacrifices that no longer exist in Israel or the ones that had already started because Cyrus had sent Jews back to rebuild the temple? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Just an interesting question. Right. And then it's, I mean, but you know, it's kind of like, uh, we still call it breakfast, you know, even though it's not often breaking a fast for us. Right. So we can refer to things in time <laughs> right, that right, right. refer to relics of the past. Right. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Gabriel made me understand my prayer, made me understand the book of Jeremiah more specifically mm. speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding at the beginning of your pleas for mercy. A word went out and I've come to tell it to you. You are greatly loved. So consider the words and understand this vision. That's amazing. Can I make two really quick observations Please? that are probably off the track? I love we're off going the track. On? One is, isn't it really cool that God sent an angel to tell Daniel that he's greatly loved? I. <laughs> it happens multiple times throughout all these, these visions, and it kind of catches me off guard every time it happens. Yeah, I mean, because number one, poor Daniel... He's just like confessing his sins. And I know we were here. It's like because of our sins. It's our fault. And he's like, I still love you. 
You know, yeah. like you're so greatly loved. Yeah. You're confessing your sin and you're saying, oh, woe is us and you have nothing to bring. I mean, you're right. But, man, I still love you. God, he, God wants you to know he still just loves, he loves you. you. I just think that's really cool. It is really cool. Uh, the other thing, which is we, we don't do a lot of, we kind of just did one, so that doesn't really sound genuine. But we don't do a lot of, we do a lot of Jesus turns, but we don't do a lot of Holy Spirit turns. Yeah. But I just think it's interesting. If Gabriel is the one who comes mm-hmm. to help him understand Jeremiah better. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it cool that we have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, the author mm-hmm. of scripture, as our guide through the Bible? It is cool. I just think that's cool. That is cool. That we don't need an angel to come and appear and be like, let me tell you what your reading is all about. You have Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit in you that you can pray to, to help illumine your eyes, Mm -hmm. to understand scripture. And he's the author. Hmm. Anyway. So interesting. Yeah. I like both of those things. Great. A deeply loved man filled with the spirit of God to understand the Bible. Seth Stewart, that's you. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) That's kind of you. (laughs) Uh, so the angel interprets the vision and he says this, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. But I thought Jeremiah said 70 years. Yeah. <laughs> Let me finish what this says. I, I was trying to be Daniel in and, real time arguing with the angel. But that's exactly what you should be picking. Wait, oh, okay. But no, Jeremiah said 70 years. Uh-huh. Now he's talking about 70 weeks and what's going to happen at the end of the 70 weeks. Okay. Um, transgression will be finished an end will be put to sin iniquities will be atoned for everlasting righteousness will reign prophets and visions will be fulfilled and a most holy thing will be anointed hold on that's a lot yeah you're saying at the end of 70 weeks we're just going to put an end to sin we're going (laughs) to stop transgression can you do that (laughs) Well, in Jesus, you can. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the point. I'm like, you. What? I mean, what conceptual category would Daniel have to receive a word like that? Other than just like, I don't know how you're going to pull that off, God, but I trust that you will. I, I think Daniel would have understood this as a prophecy of the new covenant and a return to the land. Mm. I think that's what he would have understood. Right. He's like, if, if God's going to circumcise your hearts and make you love him and obey his commands, yes. he's going to do something mm-hmm. that will enable us to put an end to sin and an end to transgression. And yes. we're going to need a new place where righteousness dwells and it's a holy place mm-hmm. where prophecies and visions are all fulfilled. Okay. And to anoint. Uh-huh. The Hebrew just says, to anoint a most holy. Oh. So whoa. some translations will say most holy place, uh-huh. thinking temple. Other translations say most holy one, meaning right. Jesus. Messiah. Yeah. Uh, so I would just say the best way to understand it is probably both. Right. It's, it's usually pro- a good. It's, pro- <laughs> it's usually a good guess. Probably both. Um, you don't have to choose. Nope. The Hebrew author didn't want you to choose apparently because he could have said either one. Yeah. So he just left it ambiguous. Mm. So I think he would have understood this as. The prophesied end for what he's hoping for. The, the, the end for his prayers, that restoration of Israel to the land with God, this is that thing. But the angel tells him that it's not going to be 70 years from now, but 70 weeks. Now, weeks, what does weeks mean? Seven days. Yeah. <laughs> I so, know what a week is. So what is 70 weeks? So either that's, you know, about a year and a half. <laughs> right doesn't seem likely um <laughs> from what i've learned from daniel so far and we've also already been introduced to this number 70 previously mm-hmm. and its connection to the idea of sabbath that's not necessarily related to 
chronological history. Right. We know the time between Israel going into exile and coming back in the land was 66 years, but Jeremiah and Daniel both say it's 70, and they say that's because we're talking not about literal years necessarily, but about the concept of Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And so we have this metaphorical kind of loose understanding of what numbers mean. Right. So when we come into here, the idea of a week is actually years. So 70 weeks of years, 77s is the uh, way that most people have understood this. Okay. After 77s, all of this will happen. After the Sabbath of Sabbaths. After the Sabbath of Sabbaths, <laughs> after the ultimate Sabbath of the ultimate Sabbath, then all these things will happen. Interesting. So, was that clear? I hope oh, it was clear. Oh, clear as mud. It was oh, so gosh. good. No, I'm kidding. It was clear. Uh, it's just weird. But I think it kind of proves your point, or Daniel's point, or whoever's making this point, <laughs> that whoever's making how, the how point. could the angel come in and say 70 years? You know, Jer- Jeremiah was talking about 70 years. Daniel was praying about 70 years. And then the angel comes in and interprets it and says 70 weeks. It, it kind of proves the point. That we're not yes. talking about chronological time. Right. We're not saying, how many pages are in your calendar are you turning until this happens? We're saying, there's a theological category that needs to be satisfied mm-hmm. in order for the end of exile to come. Yes. Right? Yes, that's okay. right. Okay. And if you go back to the book of Leviticus. Yes. This phrasing, like uh, the idea of weeks of years, mm. comes from the book of Leviticus. So after the Day of Atonement, which this sounds like a pretty intense Day of Atonement. Yeah, the trans- end of sin. <laughs> the end of sin, the transgression finished, atoning for iniquity. He says, you shall count seven weeks of years until the year of Jubilee. So that's the 49th year will be the year of Jubilee. And that's the way him saying, okay, seven weeks of years, seven sevens, uh-huh. 49 right. equals year of Jubilee. <laughs> that's right. what he's. That's the math that he's doing in Leviticus. But he's picking up on that language here because I think he's also pulling on Jubilee themes. Right. Which is the Sabbath of Sabbaths. It's the Sabbath of Sabbath. And as we've said before, what is the year of Jubilee? It's a returning of land. A returning of land. So in 70 weeks, 77s. You'll get the land back. A day of atonement will come just like before. That first. That first. And then after atonement will come the restoration of the land, Mm. a rebuilding of the temple, and a vindication of all that the prophets saw and foretold. That's happening in 77s. Okay. Um, we could end there uh-huh. and be like, we've talked about a lot of these themes already. Right. We've talked about a new covenant. We've talked about Jesus. We've talked about him. Is he, He's the most holy place. He's the anointed one who brings about an end to sin, and he brings us back into our land. And we can talk about some of those things in a little more detail before we go on. And maybe we should, hmm. because Daniel, or the G- Gabriel, I should say, is going to unpack the 70 years in more granular detail oh uh and we can talk about in that 10 and 11 and no or in right the here. next verses oh okay he's gonna like tell you what's gonna happen in the first seven weeks and then what's gonna happen in the next 62 weeks and then what's gonna happen in the final week oh right he's in real granular detail so let's zoom before we get there uh-huh. let's zoom out and say okay if we're talking about 77s yes 70 liturgical right Levitical, Levitical, Jubilee, sevens and seventies and Sabbaths. Right. What is being prophesied here? Yeah, I think we've said it. It's an ultimate day of atonement in Jesus. Right. That there will be an ultimate day of atonement that leads to an ultimate Sabbath rest. Yes. Right. And that's what happens in Jesus. He says, here's a new covenant. 
eats my body and my blood. Mm-hmm. He dies on the day of Passover. Mm-hmm. He is, is the Passover lamb. Yes. And he provides atonement. He is the day of atonement. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Jesus is the day of atonement. And then what happens after the big day of atonement in the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee happens. Yeah. And people uh, get the land back. They're and, freed from slavery. Mm-hmm. Right? All right. these things happen. So let's talk about the land then. So on the year okay. of Jubilee, if that's what we're pulling on here, yeah. the year of Jubilee, oftentimes in Israel, all the times in Israel, the land was allotted to particular people within particular tribes. Right. And that land was supposed to stay within your family and within your tribe. Mm-hmm. However, sometimes you had a hard time. You had to sell your land or lease your land yep. in order to make ends meet. However, every 49th year, all that land would be returned to you so that the original allotments of the land would remain the same yep. in God's place. Right. How does Jesus fulfill the year of Jubilee in that sense for us? If he mm. is forgiving our sins and giving us back the what is he talking about like how do i understand personal sins atone for right i understand that i own at least a portion of my home the bank owns the rest of it (laughs) but like what's he talking about now as i I like enter in and have land restored to me what's he talking about well i mean number one we have to understand that the way we think about salvation is very different than a way than the way that Daniel or even a first century Jew would have thought about it. Okay. They would not just think about it in terms of my soul leaving my body to go be with Jesus forever. That's not a biblical way to think about salvation. Okay. Is not a, a, a sold reality in heaven forever and not okay. hell. Yeah. That's not what salvation is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's always a return to place. Mm-hmm. Because how did the Bible start? In, in place. a place, in, in the Garden of in Eden. Garden. And we left that place. We got exiled from that place. So everything in the Bible takes place in exile. The whole Bible's in exile. Okay. And there's these little hints in Israel, right, when they come into Canaan yeah. where they're trying to get into a new Eden. And they don't. They get kicked out. Now we're in Daniel. We're in Babylon. But you're going to come back into another Eden. And we're going to finally finish the Eden project. Mm-hmm. And so what Jesus is saying as, as he is the Sabbath rest as he is Lord of the Sabbath, as he is the one who ends up redeeming us and atoning for us on the ultimate day of atonement to then bring us into his rest. He's saying, you're going to become a placed people again. You're going to have a place. Um, And I think we can read that two ways. I think we should read that two ways. One is we can be placed right now because Mm -hmm. we have the Holy Spirit in us. Because the, the idea of place was always about where's the temple? Mm-hmm. Like where where's the temple? Where's the presence of God? Where's the locus of the divine encounter? And now Jesus through his Holy Spirit has made that us and the church. So in a sense, he's placed us now because we have the church. We have mm-hmm. the body of Christ here on earth mm-hmm. to dwell in and around. Um, but then the other way we need to think about it because we're still in exile. We're not with him fully right now. I can't see his face. The other way to think about it is he will return to a lot to us, a perfect land Hmm. where we will be granted a plot of land in the new heavens and the new earth that he will, when Jesus returns, he will remake the earth 
And just like as there was a new covenant, there will be a new Jerusalem and a new heavenly city. And that will be here with us on a new created earth. And we'll get a plot of land. Mm-hmm. We'll be, that plot of land will be with Jesus and we'll never lose it again. We'll never have to have another Jubilee yeah. because the land that's granted to us will be ours forever. And we'll always be a placed people. Mm-hmm. So like that's kind of what's happening. Yeah. That feels like a different like a different type of good news than I was expecting mm. to hear. It's like um the idea of Jesus being the ultimate temple or being the ultimate prophesied one who fixes my problem of sin. I kinda I kinda I kinda can get there. Yeah. You know, easily enough. Um but if seventy weeks is a reference to Jubilee, and Jubilee is primarily about the canceling of debts and getting land back. Right. I don't think I reflect on like that sense of loneliness and homesickness mm. that I so often experience. Yeah. And that not just being incidental to my, because I think like, Oh, I was a missionary kid mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I've lived in a couple of different States. And like, I feel like that was home for this reason. That was home for that reason. And this was home for this reason. But they're not all quite home, and I really want to plant a tree and see it grow one day and, like, eat apples that I grew in my yard. But I probably won't because I'll probably move again. And, like, that sense of, like, rootlessness and placelessness will ultimately be solved in Jesus. Yeah. Because one day I'll live somewhere forever (laughs) with him, and that land will never be taken away by anything. Right. It will always be mine, and it will always be returned to me. And even if I could sell my land in heaven and go somewhere else, I would come back to that land and see that tree I planted 49 years ago. Yep. And eat its fruit. And eat its fruit. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just, that feels really su- like sweet news, like yeah. almost sentimental, but like really powerfully and imaginatively good. Yeah. My it, homesickness will be solved. Yeah. And imagine if we lived with that reality in mind. You know, I think. I don't think we would build castles. I don't think we'd build mansions. Yeah. Because we know that this isn't where I'm going to live forever. Mm. I think we would live differently if we knew yeah. that ultimately my plot of land where I'm going to live forever is in heaven or the new earth. Or it would say, well, one day I'll come back and visit here. Yes. Because I think that's the other thing. Right. Because what does land mean for Daniel? It meant Israel. Mm-hmm. What does land mean now? It means the earth. Right. What was part of, we keep talking about Tower of Babel themes throughout the book of Daniel. Yeah. The Tower of Babylon back in Genesis 11 concentrated the world's people in one place. Mm. The kingdom of Babylon did the same thing. But God's intention was that people would spread out through the whole earth and make the Garden of Eden over the entire earth. Yeah. And what ha- is the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes, which we keep talking about, is he scatters all peoples, tribes, and languages throughout the earth to spread the kingdom of God. Yeah. Like the kingdom of God goes out. And as we plant trees now or build homes, what are those places? Those are outposts of the kingdom of God now. That's right. And some of those things will survive to the next life. That's which, right. Which is what like like don't build it out of straw or hay, because it'll be burned up. That's right. Build things out of gold. Yeah. And they'll be there when we when Jesus comes back. I'm like, I don't know what that means exactly. Right. But I wonder if like I'm stumbling into it. Like, right. It means things that will have the same value that heaven will have. Yeah. It's stuff that's not made out of actual gold. Right. But stuff that would is so good and Christ centered 
that it will still exist in heaven because it's heavenly. Yeah. It's made of the fabric and the intention of heaven. So I've, I've often heard people talk about like, when you create or you build or you make something, a business, a yeah. home, a garden, whatever it is, whenever you make a piece of art, yeah. whenever you make something, try to make it so like Jesus, like heaven, that you'll be able to pick up where you left off when you get there. when you get there, because it'll yeah. be there. Yeah, Which it makes is so is a different way of thinking about like sending your treasures ahead. Yeah, right. Is not just which I don't disagree with this. Please right, no one right, hear me right, say right. like, it's not just, well, when I donate my money to a charity, I'm actually sowing into the kingdom. You are, but I don't think whenever you go, here's a bag of money to a charity, that bag of money is waiting for you on your plot of land. I think instead, right. if you, you, you give money to uh, a place that builds a home for a needy family, you could get to go visit that family and that home forever and and know yeah. them and live yeah. with and like you know like visit them and yeah. have a meal with them which sounds way better than just having a bunch of bags of money in heaven right <laughs> okay so we spent a lot of time like what <laughs> i'm like where what are we even talking about anymore are we, are we daniel are we daniel i i think we are yes we're definitely because in daniel the hope, he's homesick yeah daniel is lost in babylon homesick for a place where the new covenant actually reigns yeah. where people are transformed by the great the holy spirit of god to do justice yes. in a land i want to say this too because it's like this is daniel's hope for a new covenant because think about eden eden was a place that was supposed to be perfect and there was a tree of life there right you live forever there right and so of course you would work on an art project and then pick it up a thousand years later <laughs> Yeah. Because there's a tree of life there. You right. live forever doing that kind of stuff. Right. And so we're squarely in Daniel. We're squarely in Daniel from the side of the cross. Right. Yes. And like, yes. <laughs> I'm with us. I'm with us. The 70 weeks are 77s leading us to the new covenant and ultimately to the final reality where we're with God we're forever. Forever Sabbath. Yes. That's not quite the way that Daniel the, 9 ends. The way Daniel 9 ends. Yeah. The angel gives a further interpretation of what's going on here. Um, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with streets in a trench or squares in a moat, but in a troubled time. And then after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. And the people and the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. Desolations are decreed. He shall make a strong covenant for one week. And for half the week, he shall put an end to the sacrifice of the offerings. And the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. What does that mean, Seth? I, <laughs> the more I've studied this, the less sure I am. There's four primary interpretations. And then I realize after reading all those and understanding about 50% of each one of those positions <laughs> that I don't think that my study has not led me to any of those conclusions. Wonderful. Um, we had mentioned last week that th that number 62 seems significant in Daniel because that's the age that Darius takes the throne. Right. And King... Cyrus, who places Darius on a throne in Babylon, is the one who tells Israel to go back and restore and be rebuild the temple. And mm -hmm. Darius is in charge as that's happening. So that makes sense that the one after that would be 
the kingdom of Greece and Antiochus Epiphanes comes and destroys the temple. And mm-hmm. that would mirror the prophecies of Daniel 8, where it talks about Media and Persia being followed by the kingdom of Greece. Yes. So Which, this is, an, in a, in what you're saying is, the, the seven weeks and the 62 weeks and the one week is another way of building the statue again. It's another way of building the statue again. And then at the end of that time will come a new kingdom. Uh-huh. And who's that new kingdom? The kingdom we've been talking about this whole time. That's right. The ultimate kingdom that Daniel ushers in. Now, there's other people who say that 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 can't be what this means because this is obviously referring to Jesus and his baptism. And um, it's referring to Rome. It's referring to Titus in AD 70 when he destroys the temple then. It's referring to none of those things. It's referring to the Antichrist and what he does at the end of time. There are a lot of opinions. So many. What's the one thing, the common denominator that really matters that we need to walk away from this with? At the end of all that, there is a most holy place. Mm. A most holy one. A most holy one. Yeah. And we will be with him at the end of that time. Um, that's, a, that's what matters. That's what matters. <laughs> yeah, right. And all, I mean, I, th- I mean, unless you don't believe that right. Jesus was real, that those that's where all of them end. All the interpretations end with, and Jesus is right. the answer. And Jesus is the answer. He's one who forgives our sins and yeah. builds us a new land to live with him forever. Yeah. And there is one other way that I like to think about this. Oh, okay. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. In the book well, those of are my favorite ones. Um, so this idea of 77s, uh-huh. so we've talked about it as a reference to Sabbath. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it as a reference to the year of Jubilee. Right. We've talked about it as like a symbol of completion or fulfillment, uh, metaphorical. Um, side note, historically, 70 times 7 is 490. And if you do some rounding, make some rounding errors, that's about the time between, you know, Darius and Jesus like there's yeah, like there's that going on cool. but 70 times 7 is is introduced to us all the way back in the beginning stories of Genesis right right after the very meaning of 7 got established mm-hmm. with the time yeah. of creation and rest that's yeah. the cycle of the universe okay yeah Cain kills Abel right Cain goes and builds a city uh-huh the first city the first empire oh he makes new technology just like Babylon, perhaps. Mm. And one of his ancestors uh, is named Lamech. Yes. And one of the promises that God made to Cain was that if anybody attacked him, God would hurt him or give revenge on him seven times over. Mm -hmm. But Lamech, after building the city, after ignoring God's commands for however long it takes to build an empire in a city, said, well, if Cain got seven times revenge i'm going to build revenge a city on revenge 70 times seven times Mm. so and then lamech becomes kind of like this archetypical example of what proud rulers look like yeah they build kingdoms of unforgiveness 70 times seven times over yeah and then we have this interesting thing here about 70 times seven in the book of daniel in 70 times seven years what will happen Sins will be atoned for. Mm. Forgiveness will be finally offered. For what? For people like the descendants of Cain. Mm. For people like Israel who built a nation on bloodshed. For people like King Nebuchadnezzar who is a spiritual descendant of people like Cain because he's built Babylon, a city of vengeance and unforgiveness. And then the only other time in scripture that I know of that 70 times 7 is mentioned is when Jesus is talking to Peter. Yeah. And Peter asks, how many times should I forgive my brother that wronged me? Is seven times enough? So, sounds like a good number. And then Jesus says 70 times, seven times. Mm-hmm. 
And what's he talking about? Right. He's talking, I think, about this who builds the kingdom of God based on forgiveness. Yeah. He does. Right. In his message, in his body, in his teaching, there is a kingdom that will be built, a city, an empire that will be built based on forgiveness, not vengeance, 70 times, seven times over. Wow. And it's in him. Yeah. It's in Jesus. Yeah, the place. We talked about being placed. Yeah. Living in a kingdom. And the kingdom we live in with Jesus is a kingdom not built on retribution and vengeance and grudge holding and past records. You know, everybody's got a record it's tied to your social security number or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, you talk about like, oh, you got a mark on your record. That's how governments keep track of you, mm -hmm. right? Jesus builds his kingdom on forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It's a different way to construct the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so Peter asks like, how many times should I forgive my, my brother? Seven times? He's like, no, no, no. I don't build my kingdom that way. Mm -hmm. My kingdom is built on perfect, total, complete forgiveness. The point is, whether it's the Antichrist, whether it's a literal 490 years, whether it's metaphorical about the year of Jubilee, whether it's about Sabbath rest, whether it's about a kingdom of vengeance versus a kingdom of forgiveness, where do all these things end? Yeah, They end in the good news of Jesus in his eternal kingdom. And that's the, the good news of the book of Daniel from the very beginning. Yes. It's the uncut stone that smashes the empires of the world. <laughs> right. It's the, it's the king who joins you in the fire. It's like mm. he's the one who saves you from the lions. It's the one that he's coming to build something better than we've ever experienced in an empire on the earth. That's the good news at the end of the book of Daniel. It's so good. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been a really cool episode. Um, next episode, we are in Daniel 10 possibly wrapping up with 10 and 11. I would love that. I would and love 12. That. Oh, and 12. There's, 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 there's more three. Time. We'll see. <laughs> uh, anything to tease about 10, 11, 12? There's a metal man, just like there what is in Daniel chapter 2, that statue made of different metals. Oh, yes. There's now a new metal man, but he comes from heaven. Oh, so, metal man from heaven. Metal man from heaven. I wonder who that could be. That's interesting. And then the final visions of the kings of the north and the kings of the south. Yeah, and I'm most excited if we get to it to talk about the scroll that is sealed up. We have to. That doesn't get open until Revelation. Can't wait to talk about that. So we will see you as we continue through the book of Daniel. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.